now, everybody. It sounds different. It is different. It's a Nick solo show. It's the Nick Wars time show this week because Matt is out on vacation with the family, having a nice little 4th of July getaway. And it's just me in the pilot seat this time. I mean, we've seen Chewbacca fly the uh, fly the Millennium Falcon before. He doesn't need Han Solo. Who needs Han Solo, right? Chewbacca doesn't talk too much. He's very quiet. He's a big, hulking beast of a character. Can beat up anybody in the Star Wars universe. We saw him kick Han's ass. So it's a solo Chewie show this week, everybody. And by Chewie, I mean me, Nick. It's, it's that guy. So... Like I said, Matt's on vacation. We don't have a ton to cover this week either, so instead of the normal three-plus-hour-long show, I'm looking to get you out of here in a nice hour-to-hour-and-20-minute-long joint. How does that sound, everybody? You like that? Because I, I think that's pretty pretty nice for a little solo show. So, uh, you know, this week in Star Wars, we obviously have the new episode of The Bad Batch out there for those of you who are watching it i hope you are it's a good show we have some news on the acolyte tv series that's coming up uh in future years who knows we don't know have a have a date on it yet but we have some info on that for you we have a first look at star wars visions the anime project coming up uh later this year in, in 2021 to disney plus and then obviously we have our top five band segment for this week I may or may not do the question of the week because, you know, you guys have been pretty lackluster on the question stuff recently. So maybe we just give you fuckers a break on that. But anyway, the first thing that I want to talk about is what I did during the 4th of July weekend. So uh, on Saturday, I had my first house party since basically we've been in this house. You know, we've had people over. We've had small groups over and stuff like that. But I actually had... Uh, 10 people in my home on Saturday. We had a really fun time. Everybody got drunk. We played games. We shared memories from pre-pandemic times. And it, it felt like a little slice of, of home, you know? It felt like a little slice of reality uh, of post-pandemic life happening again. Um, so I'm glad that I got to do that. I was a little hungover for 4th of July. I didn't do anything. Couldn't barbecue or do anything fun because it was raining here in, in good old Austin Tejas. So it wasn't really a, a great time to be outside uh, and enjoying the 4th of July. But, you know, we still had a good time on the 3rd of July and into the 4th of July wee hours of the morning. Uh, so that was really fun. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I've also started picking up and continuing a, a really old Diablo 3 playthrough. I realized recently that I had finished the base game, but I never went through and I, I, I never finished the uh, Reaper of Souls expansion. So I was like, you know what? With all the Diablo news hovering around out there, seeing the, the videos and the in-engine the in -engine alpha, pre-alpha uh, renderings for Diablo 4 and then having Diablo 2 remastered coming soon... I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and I'll pick up my Diablo 3 gameplay and, and let's let's finish off this joint. Let's get it all done, finish up Reaper Souls, and then that way I can go into Diablo 4 in fucking three years when it comes out, having finished everything that Diablo 3 has to offer. So I've been playing that a little bit as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, just generally on the Nick side of things, just enjoying, enjoying life as it comes to me. Navigating landscapes 
of ever-changing digital media and advertising and uh and and fucking making it work so that that's been my week enjoying some old games some new games i started playing genshin impact for some reason i've seen fucking tons of people playing that game and i was like you know what i'll i'll give it a try so i booted that up for a little bit seems like it could be like a fun little uh little adventure to play here and there have it downloaded on my uh on my pc and on my laptop my brand new razor blade laptop that i got during the uh the prime day sales um so yeah yeah if you if you're looking for a free-to-play rpg uh for your pc or your console because you can get it on ps4 ps5 xbox one xbox series x and i believe it's on switch as well so if you're looking for a uh, a little free-to-play RPG, and you like uh, like JRPG-style games, uh, like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, something like that. Uh, download Genshin Impact, free to play. So check that out. And then, yeah, I mean, on the Star Wars front for me, and this isn't going to be a topic that we talk about, but the uh, the most recent, I guess you would call it, adult novel. Uh, the the you know the non young adult the non children uh, novel for the High Republic release that is the uh, the Rising Storm by Scott uh, Kevin Scott that that released it's in my possession because I pre ordered it I pre ordered it with the notion that I would be finished the Light of the Jedi already but as you probably know from listening to the show back when I first received it I have not finished it still I did read about fifty more pages of the book. So I'm I'm a little bit more than halfway finished, but I, I actually now have a reason to go in and finish it because I now have the second book literally sitting on my bookshelf and staring at me. So I, I have to go in and finish it up. It was I didn't finish it for no reason. Basically, I enjoyed the story that I was reading. I was enjoying the character development, but I am a lazy bastard and sometimes like I will read shit just really fast, and then other times I'll start stuff and I'll put it down, just like I do with video games. I'll, I'll fucking get halfway through a video game, put it down, won't play it again for a year, or more than that. In Diablo 3's case, won't play it for four years, <laughs> and then come back to it. So, uh, that's the situation that's happening with uh, my High Republic read-through. If you are a fan of the, of the Light of the Jedi, or you are looking to get into the High Republic novelizations and reading you can get the light of the jedi now that's been out since january and you can also get the rising storm uh, rising storm by kevin scott which is available right now on amazon or in bookstores near you so go pick it up uh it's apparently very good from what i've uh seen out there in the book review world not that i live in that world too much but that's the the, the end of our little intro here so as we usually do week over week now Matt and I start you guys off with a nice, freshly updated review and recap of The Bad Batch. So we have season one, episode 10 out here. Episode 10 is called Common Ground. I know that Matt and I for the last couple of weeks have been throwing out ideas about, you know, what this episode could be about. Given the title, we had title leaks for all of these July episodes uh about three weeks ago so we were speculating we're like could this common ground could they be working with a bounty hunter to help them fucking you know get something you know they have common ground with this bounty hunter and the next one's called the devil's deal could it be that the the bounty hunter that they were working with in common ground 
fucking shoots him in the back and then bang devil's deal uh we were wrong i would say yeah uh, so common ground was an episode that was uh not really focused on the overarching narrative of like the bounty hunters being after omega and and the the batch being on the run from the evil forces out there that are trying to get a hold of her um they did mention it in the beginning of the episode when uh the the crew were just kind of walking through um their little day-to-day routines but they did not encounter any any bounty hunters in this episode what this episode was about was um a a mission that the batch was sent on to essentially extract a uh a senator that was a part of uh that was the senator for a cis planet so pre uh order 66 and pre-imperial reign uh this senator on raxus was the basically the founding member of the CIS. Raxus was the home base for the CIS. Echo brings that up after they get the mission, you know, saying that he essentially, why are we doing this? This guy was a part of the CIS. He's, you know, a traitor to the Republic. But common ground being what it is, uh, there is no CIS. There is no Republic. There is only the Empire. And uh, now this senator is in dire need of extraction from the uh, from the planet as the imperial uh, the imperial troops have have tightened their vice grip uh, around it. So on the one hand, you have the batch themselves minus Omega going to Raxus and, and freeing the senator from the imperial shackles that he's been under since the 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 empire has landed on Raxus. And uh, with Omega left behind, she is now uh, trying to find some common ground with Sid. And uh, early in the episode, you can see that things are not going well. Omega's very bored. She's just kind of sitting there. And Sid kind of is... Sid is not a very uh, empathetic figure. She does not... uh, You know, she doesn't really care to entertain uh, Omega. She basically is like, I'm on babysitting duty, and I'm also trying to run... uh, a CD operation and a bar. So she was kind of uninterested in, in, in messing around with Omega too much. Um, but they were also able to find some common ground in the episode through the hollow chess game that you see, um, you know, you see Chewbacca and C-3PO playing on the Falcon way back in the OT. Um, apparently Omega is a whiz at that game and she shows off her skills during a match that was being that, that, uh, you know, was being played in the bar and then Sid ends up uh, taking a liking to her uh, a little bit more than she thought she would. So her and Sid team up, take down some people in this hollow chess game and end up making uh, a nice bit of money for for Omega and for the batch themselves. So much so that they've completely paid off their debt now to to Sid. And all thanks to Omega's incredible strategic mind, as they brought up in this episode. Um, overall, I will say that this one was a, uh, you know, you're, like I said, you're not following the, the primary narrative of the bounty hunters being after Omega and stuff like that. So you, it is a bit of a, uh, a divergence off of that, that plot thread, but it does more world building in a, in very important world building here to where you're now seeing, you know, the 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 CIS planets who were fighting for their independence from the Republic are now essentially in the same situation that the uh, 
that the that the uh, rebellion is in. They're like, okay, well, you know, we now have to fight for our independence or or do what we can, start an underground movement to to break away from the empire. And this is happening again uh, with the CIS plans, who are already doing that to try to get out of the the grips of the of the republic. Um, so it was very interesting to see how that dynamic played in this in this universe here like i mentioned echo was not very happy to be undertaking this mission like he he looks at raxus and he looks at the uh the the people of raxus as traitors because of the war that they started against the republic um and and you know they were he was very unhappy to do to have to 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 go there initially and, and do this um so yeah, it was a it was an interesting episode all around. Good world building, and that's kind of what we're focusing on now, in in the in the Bad Batch is is world building, and this leads me to believe that that we are even though it hasn't been confirmed yet that we are going to be seeing at least another season of this show. the The fact that they're doing so much character development, so much world building over so many episodes in in season one means that they don't plan on like just saying like, okay, this is season one and then cut and they're building towards something bigger. They're building towards something more expansive than just the one season run with this show. It seems um, now that you're bringing in, you know, the, the CIS planets and the, um, the, the senators from the CIS planets being rescued, Senator Singh, um, you could potentially start to see the seeds of the rebellion growing, uh, as Matt and I have mentioned many times on the podcast. Like technically, the uh, the rebellion, quote unquote, was was starting to be formed in a, a, as soon as episode three, uh, with the uh, the the deleted scene that included Bail Organa and and. Um, you know, uh, Senator uh, Amidala and everything like that, putting together this alliance of of senators that was kind of against all of the the movement that was happening with the Chancellor at the time, fighting to keep his extended powers and everything. So the the seeds of the rebellion were planted as far back as Episode Three, and now you're starting to see that play out a little bit more in the Bad Batch. We may even get to see. I mean, we've already seen. Uh, the seeds of the rebellion through Saw and his group earlier on in the season, and now we're starting to see like even these these CIS senators who who were form like formerly very much against the Republic may start to come in to the fold and and work with former Republic senators to form the rebellion. Um, so I was pretty I was pretty happy to see. Um, that play out and, and the world building continue in a, in a way that we really haven't seen it before. Like you're seeing the political landscape kind of change and change very quickly now. And we knew that was going to happen in this, in this uh, series, because essentially you have the clone wars where you're still very much in Republic times and you're in wartime. And then you kind of skip forward to uh, star Wars rebels where the rebel Alliance is very much in swing already the Imperial reign and the Imperial vice grip on the galaxy is already well in place and tightened. So now the bad batch is filling in that intermediary period where you're, you're kind of the, the, you know, 
in the period of time where the rebellion is still being formed and it's not fully formed yet. And you're in a, you're dealing with a, a new empire that's not quite got its its claws sunk into the galaxy yet. Uh, so I like how this show is is starting to flesh out all of this different um, this different political maneuverings on both sides of the coin. Um, so I thought it was I thought it was cool. Um, it sets up some interesting things. Some, like I said, some interesting potential with the uh, with the rebellion. And yeah, I mean, twenty two minute long episodes. You guys can jump in at any point in the show, and and kind of you know pick up what's going on and and really enjoy the the story that's being told. Um, some character building for Omega too. She's apparently an incredible strategist. We don't know if this is just due to her working with. Uh, the Kaminoans back on Kamino when she was, you know, still essentially a lab assistant, or if this was something that was that may have been built into her when she was a clone, like she has in like an incredible strategic mind because of that. Uh, but it is something to note that that she is a really intelligent strategist, and that's how she goes about winning all of these hollow chess matches against people who are essentially, you know, who are way older than her, considered experts. Um, and, you know, that's how she she pays off the batch's debt to sit. So um, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, not not necessarily the, the best episode of the series, but I, I like the, the the world building that's being done. I'm a big fan. Check it out on Disney Plus now. Every Friday you can watch it until they change the cadence of the drops. Then it'll be every Wednesday. And there we go. So yeah, Bad Batch Season 1, Episode 10, Common Ground, available now on Disney Plus. Before we move into our next topic, I do want to mention our amazing sponsors here at the Star Wars Time Show. That's right. They're back. Manscaped has come back to support the Star Wars Time Show for the beginning of summer. And you know what summer means. It means the sun's out. It means that buns are out. Uh, my buns aren't out. Mine are firmly planted within my, my shorts. My buns are too pasty to be out in the sun because it would, they would just crisp. Uh, but hopefully your pubes are not out. Also, it's flip-flop season. I wear flip-flops. I wear Birkenstocks, but still, I wear flip-flops. So I, you know, and I have some, you know, I have to keep my feet at least a little looking nice, you know, as much as I can. So with flip-flop season upon us and post-pandemic times out, you know, like I said, post-pandemic times are here. That means your toenails are going to be showing. And guess what? We talked last time about Manscaped has you covered from the waist down for your grooming needs. And that includes your feet. So to cover your feet and everything else from the waist down, Manscaped has launched their fourth generation performance package in their Shears 2.0 nail grooming kit. Join the Manscaped movement by going to manscaped.com. And to get 20% off plus free shipping, use the code SWTS at checkout. Um, so Matt and I, we, we got our performance uh, package in the mail recently, and we were hit with some pretty with some pretty cool stuff. And I've been using it 
uh, pretty much every day during my my uh, my shower freshen up time. So we we got a new thing called foot deodorant that they have. It's like a spray, and I got to tell you, like like I was saying, you know, I my feet are a little they're not great, but I try to do as much as I can to make them look as good as possible. And and the one thing that the foot deodorant does is if you are if you have smelly feet that foot deodorant will really help you it's really good stuff um but they also gave you like i mentioned the the shears 2.0 nail grooming kit which as a as like a like a kid i like you never really think about your your feet or your toenails or anything like that it's just like yeah whatever like you know i know as a kid i would like bite my toenails which is disgusting and i know <laughs> that some people can't even do that because of flexibility issues, but also like you, that's just not the way you should groom your feet. You shouldn't be biting your toenails. You know what you should be using? Something like the Shears 2.0 nail grooming kit. Uh, you come, it comes with toenail clippers. It comes with a nail file. It comes with scissors. It comes with basically everything you need to, to keep your, your feet on point, especially if you're going out to the beach, if you're going to be wearing your flip flops or your open toed shoes out during the summer times. You don't want long, disgusting ass nails out there. It's just nasty. So I've been enjoying my Shears 2.0 grooming kit. I've been enjoying the foot deodorant that comes with the performance package. And and really, I mean, I've been enjoying all of the Manscaped products that that we've gotten so far. I'm a daily user of the uh of the body wash through Manscaped. It smells great, it applies great. And it, it's like the smell is long lasting too. I've had, you know, my girlfriend tell me like, oh, wow, that you, are you using a new body wash? First time I used it, I was like, yeah, this is the one that I got from Manscaped. And she's like, wow, that smells really good. So that always feels good when you get validation from your significant other. And I've gotten that validation thanks to Manscaped. Uh, so let me give you some more on this new performance uh package the performance package 4.0 includes the new lawnmower 4.0 so if you didn't get it during our last promotion you can get it now plus a bunch of other stuff so it comes with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer will change the way you approach your grooming routine this fourth generation trimmer features advanced skin safe technology to reduce grooming accidents you don't want any ingrown hairs or snags on your boys before beach season the lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 rpm motor and an on off travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on a 4,000k led spotlight uh i mean you who knows when you're going to be shaving in the dark who knows we i've been in a situation before where i've been in the shower and the lights went out guess what you need something to be able to see so what better than a 4,000K LED light on your lawnmower 4.0 to make sure you can see what's going on? <laughs> this is, I love it. If the power grid goes out in Texas again, you can use your lawnmower 4.0 to illuminate uh, the way with this LED spotlight. 100% right. We were out of power. You know, the, the, the power grid in Texas, it can't stand it when it's cold. It can't stand it when it's hot. It'll just go out at any point in time. So if you live in Texas specifically, get the lawnmower 4.0 so you can have an awesome shaver and a flashlight at all times. Uh, the trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower and not worry about 
the cleanup on aisle D. That's right. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ears. I've used, so like one thing about nose hairs is that like you don't really like as a guy, I never really paid attention to my nose hair until like it was called out to me. And that's embarrassing. Like, you know, I, I'm just kind of sitting there on the couch one day and I have a, you know, a full beard and mustache combo. And my girlfriend looks at me and says, like, you have really long nose hair. I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, what do you mean I have long nose hair? I, she's like, I can see there's like nose hair that's like sticking out of your nose. I was like, what? That's okay. That's not, that doesn't feel good. So I went upstairs and I checked and there indeed was a, like a nose hair that was essentially poking out almost down into my mustache, which is just like, ugh, I did not. That really kind of like mentally threw me off. So now having the weed whacker from Manscaped makes it super easy for me to to get in there, trim the nose hairs without having to use tweezers or anything like that. You just get in there, buzz it out real quick, and you are good to go. The weed whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor uh, powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those sensitive little nostrils of yours. Use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to keep you on your game in the heat. It is hot, you sweat, and you know, everybody knows, when you sweat, you don't just sweat under your arms, you sweat everywhere. So, and this is especially important and notable for people who are athletic, if you run, if you play sports during the summer, if you're active during the summer, having some sort of like deodorant for down there to help anti-chafing, uh, you know, to help with chafing or anything like that, to, to stop the chafing is super important. Uh, I've been using it since I got it. And I, I will say, not only like, again, Everything Manscaped smells good. Let's just put that out there up front. Everything smells good. But it like it does help with just perspiration and the chafing and all of the issues, the jock itch or anything like that that could come from just sweating in the heat of the summer. Um, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0. The Manscaped boxers and the shed travel bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The boxers are awesome. They're incredible. I know that some people in our community have already bought them and they vouch for them as well. Uh, so pick those up. And, and anybody who gets the Performance Package 4.0 uh, gets two free gifts with it as well. We also talked about the Shears 2.0 luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools that include slash-tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. And like we said, it's summertime, so you're probably wearing open-toe shoes. So make your feet look as good as they can. The Shears 2.0 Luxury Nail Kit is a perfect way to do that. You can get the Lawnmower 4.0 and the Performance Package 4.0 uh, with 20% off and free shipping with the code SWTS at Manscaped. 20% off plus free shipping with the code SWTS at manscaped.com. Tame that summer swamp in your pants with Manscaped. 
thank you to Manscaped. Thank you to everybody in our community who has supported us with purchases through Manscaped. And hey, if you if you heard something on there, if you heard something in that in that read that you were like, man, I would really like to try the deodorant or I'd really like to try the foot spray or anything like that. You can just go buy those individually, too. You don't have to buy the whole package. SWTS at checkout will get you 20 percent off and free shipping for anything on the website. So if you if you just want to try the body wash, if you just want to try the foot deodorant, if you just want to try the the Shears 2.0 nail kit. You can get 20% off and free shipping worldwide for anything. A support, a supportive purchase for Manscaped is a supportive purchase for the Star Wars Time Show. So thank you, Manscaped. Thank you, Star Wars Time Show community, for showing us love by showing them love. All right. Let's get back to the Star Wars news and happenings. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the Acolyte series a little bit. So the Acolyte series is one of the new pieces of Disney Plus content that was announced during the the end of 2020 extravaganza uh, that that essentially introduced us to 10 new pieces of Star Wars Disney Plus content and, and just a host of, of new characters and stories that will be told to us over the coming years. The Acolyte series is the is the new series from Leslie Headland, who is the creator of the, the Netflix series Russian Doll, that focuses on the High Republic era, specifically the end of the High Republic era. And, and very little is known about this. I mean, we've seen the essentially the, um, the title screen for it, and the title screen alone looks very dark in comparison to basically everything else we've seen in the Star Wars universe recently. Like, all of the other shows are, you know, you're focused on the good guys and you're focused on, you know, how the good guys are, are helping to preserve the galaxy and keep things in an or, you know, like in order, basically, even in the in the original trilogy time that like the bad guys were in power. But we were focused on the story of the good guys. This Acolyte TV series looks like we could be leaning in a little bit of a different direction. But again, there's very, very little known about it yet. The, the only thing that we have to go on before or the only thing that we had to go on before this most recent uh, interview with Leslie Headland was the blurb for the show, which basically says that it's a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. So like I said, it, it, it's skewing a little bit more dark than we typically do in Star Wars, which I'm excited about. I, I love the dark stories. I love the dark, uh, the dark side and the dark side users. And we never really, you know, while we do get a little bit of them, we get a little bit of focus on them in the original trilogy and the other stories told throughout the movies. Um, they they were never brought into clear focus. So maybe with the with the acolyte, we can see that a little bit more. Um, and then in a in an interview this past week. Uh, Leslie Headland basically broke down to us what what the inspiration for the show was and and what she sees like how she, she she sees the show functioning in the Star Wars landscape. Um, so Leslie is a self admitted. This is a quote from her: "Die hard, cutthroat fan of Star Wars." And when she says that, she goes into detail about like you know. The, the, the content that not only she's seen and read, but also played like she has played uh, 
a lot of the Star Wars video games going even as far back as like, you know, Empire at War and in and, and these old games way, way back in the day. She's played the new Fallen Jedi Fallen Order games. She, she is a she is a Star Wars fan through and through. Like she is, you know, up up with uh up with us here in the in the psycho level of of Star Wars fandom. So that's really it's really awesome to know that that she's not just taking the helm of the show as like a casual observer of Star Wars. She is kind of a a a deep seated nerd like like we are. Um, and you know, Leslie gave us a little bit of insight into into how she developed this series. What was the inspiration to it? And a lot of the inspiration for the acolyte actually uh, fall actually comes from the Phantom Menace. Um, when TPM came out in 1999, Leslie said she was 18 years old. She was in high school still. So like it was a very huge cultural moment for her. And as a Star Wars fan prior, it was just a huge, you know, fan moment. And, you know, we, we all know how the reception to the prequels went and we all know that there's kind of a division or, you know, like less now, but there's still a division in the fandom about how the the prequels played out and and people's feelings towards them but for Leslie the Phantom Menace actually played a huge role in influencing what would become the Acolyte TV series and um based on this quote you know basically what she's saying is she wanted to explore the reasons why the Jedi order was the way that it was during TPM she wanted to explore the reasons why the galaxy was basically in such a a comfortable state that there was even surprise among the Jedi, among the older Jedi, like even like Yoda, when Darth Maul was discovered and they realized, hey, this, the Sith are back. Like, why was there this level of surprise uh, to see the dark powers rising again in the galaxy? Why was the was the galaxy in such a comfortable place? After, you know, essentially, you know, we, we had no idea what was going on prior to that. And like still to this day, there's not a lot of stories that are written pre-episode one that don't go back thousands of years. You know, like, you know, we have we had content about the Old Republic. We had content that spanned back thousands of years pre-episode one, but we never really knew what was going on right outside of episode one. You didn't see too much of that. And that's kind of what Leslie wants to explore with the Acolyte series is showing the rise of the dark powers and in these shadowy spaces in the galaxy and how they were able to essentially skirt the the radar of the Jedi and that, you know, and, and why it was such a surprise to the Jedi when a Sith popped up out of nowhere during the Phantom Menace timeline. Um, so it's really interesting. It's a gap that we've never had filled. Um, even if you go back to old EU canon, there was never really anything that that explored it. And it was always kind of this this area of mystery. And, you know, the, the most I had ever read on it, and, and, you know, maybe they went into it in comics a little bit that I didn't read. But, like, the, the basically what we were led to believe was that, like, after the end of the Darth Bane trilogy, which closed out about a thousand years before uh the phantom menace the the books ended 
Um, and it happened 2000 something years after the old Republic games and the old Republic canon with Revan and Malak and all of that. Like, essentially, we were just led to believe that, you know, the Sith kind of laid low. Like, they just implemented the rule of two. They laid low until bingo, bango, uh, you know, Sidious is now on the stage. He's a senator, and then he moves his way up into Chancellor, and then the Imperial reign takes over. So we were just kind of led to believe that everything just kind of was ho-hum, and we were just making our way merrily throughout the galaxy for a thousand years before we get to the Grand Republic days and the days when uh, Chancellor Palpatine, uh, aka Darth Sidious, makes his way into power. So it was, it was always a, it was always an area that was kind of gray, that was filled with ambiguity and and a lot of unanswered questions. So I'm glad that that Leslie is focusing on that. The way that I put it in the article that's written up on StarWarsTime.net, or read it, is that she's essentially building a prequel to the prequels um excuse me water break um she's telling a story that tells us how we got to where we were when everything kicked off you know when when the episodic timelines began with episode one so i'm really excited about that i think that that's an incredible place to pick up i know that there's been some you know hesitancy with the high republic era so far um we haven't gotten a lot of content about it yet you know we we've got some young adult novels we've got some children's novels we have these two now standard slash adult novels with the light of the jedi and the rising storm and then you have the comic series which matt has been keeping us surprised of anytime a new comic drops but we know that Star Wars fans, at least most Star Wars fans, are Star Wars fans of the visual medium. You know, they, you guys want to see stuff done in animated form or in live action TV series form or in movie form. So a lot of people are just taking their opinions on the higher public from others, which is always dangerous to do. So I'm glad that we're finally going to get uh, important information important story and context from the higher public era being told in a live action format a live action series format so that's really cool um leslie also spoke a little bit on uh the writer's room and how um diversity has helped build the story in a different way and you know she was mentioning like more of what she was talking about was diversity in terms of Star Wars experience. Yes, the writer's room is diverse in terms of like human, you know, human features, race, gender, sexual orientation, stuff like that. But she was more speaking about like diversity in Star Wars experience as she is a self like she, you know, like I said before, she is a self-proclaimed diehard who has been essentially a, a Star Wars lifer and has has read, played, seen all Star Wars content since she was a child. So she is of the of the ilk like we are, the people who are listeners of the Star Wars Time Show. She is a hardcore fan, but she wanted to make sure that that the whole writer's room was not people like us. Because if you if you do have a writer's room that is completely made up of only diehard fans, then you you skew into an area where you may 
you may create something that's too heady for more casual fans, you know, that, that like for people who don't know the, the name of every planet in every sh series or who don't know that uh, that Leet is the, you know, that L337 is the is the Nava computer that's inside of the Falcon, which is why it's, it has the best Nava computer in the entire galaxy or like this small minutia shit like that, that we as hardcore fans really enjoy knowing and we really enjoy talking about week over week. That can get to a point to where like, if that's all you talk about, then the show is just too, it's too heady and it's too much for a wider appealing group to really enjoy it. Um, she called out specifically that John and Dave had have done a fantastic job with the Mandalorian, essentially creating a subspace in the Star Wars universe where anybody can come in, regardless of your knowledge of the of the universe. You didn't need to know anything about Star Wars to start watching the Mandalorian because you are introduced to it in pieces and you're and you're introduced to it in a way that that allows you to build your fandom along with the show and then you can expand your fandom outward from it uh you know you can go backwards to the the ot and prequel eras you can go forwards to the to the sequel trilogy era um so she specifically called out john and dave and the job that they did kind of making it an approachable series uh, with the Mandalorian and, and that's her goal here. And some of the, some of the choice quotes that, that I'll call out is, you know, specifically she talks about George around the OT time. Um, she says, you want to have people that respect the source material who know absolute, who absolutely know what you're talking about. But at the same time, I think it's important that you have some voices who are approaching it a little bit more, as George Lucas was approaching episode four, uh, when he wrote A New Hope, he was not approaching it like, well, in Star Wars, there's this thing. He's talked over and over again about his, his inspiration for that film being from tone poems or from a school of cinema that was much more about visual representation of feelings. And of course, the monomyth, um, not from a place of I have encyclopedic knowledge about Star Wars. So basically what she's saying is when George was writing episode four, there, there was no, you know, like there was no Star Wars encyclopedia for him to, to reference and to pull these things out of. He was creating all of this. He was creating on the fly and he didn't have kind of a slavish sort of adherence to, you know, to the lore and to the minutia and to the encyclopedic type of information that he did during the prequel era, which was why the prequels were a little bit more, they were a little bit more heady and they were a little bit more difficult to get into, especially story-wise when you look at like, well, what was driving the story? What was driving the story in the prequel era was, it had a lot to do with galactic politics and it had a lot to do with very, not grandiose things like you saw during the the original trilogy where it was a clear good versus bad story these guys are the bad guys these guys are the good guys they have there's this mystic power 
and it, it's a story it's a classic hero's journey story for luke skywalker and it's a classic good versus evil story for everybody who watched it the prequels were way more complex in a way the story was delivered and the the content of the story and what the content of the story was so she is approaching it you know in more of a she wants to approach it more like george did in the original creation of the original trilogy which is awesome because it it basically is like she's trying to make it appeal she's trying to make this acolyte series appeal to more people which is always a good thing um so speaking on like you know the type of people that she wants in in the writer's room she she likened it to this she wants people where you could go up to them and essentially this is what she said she wants to be able to say hi uh i know you don't know any of this but what do you think about this storyline what do you think about this character what do you think about this being a major set piece so she you know instead of saying like do you think that this fits in star wars like does this you know minute piece line up with this minute piece that happens 50 years ago, just looking at it more holistically, building a Star Wars story that is authentically Star Wars, but doesn't need to be so heady that people can't understand what's going on. Um, so I really like that approach to it. I really like that she has a clear vision and a clear strategy for approaching the show and approaching the narrative and the character building and everything. And I think that that's going to be a big boon to how she builds the show and how the ultimate outcome of the Acolyte um, will be. So the Acolyte series by Leslie Headland is slated to come to Disney Plus, but we don't know when. Obviously, it's still an early development. There's been no filming. We know that there's still actively filming Kenobi. They're still actively filming Andor. Um, they're still actively developing season three of The Mandalorian. And, you know... With all of that content coming, it leads me to believe that we probably won't see the Acolyte series until, I'm going to say, like, late 2022 at the earliest. Uh, you know, something that's a little bit farther out than, than you know, what we're, you know, when we're going to see the Mando or anything like that. So, um, that was, it was really cool to see how she is approaching the show not only from a development and inspiration standpoint but also how she's approaching the writer's room and in having people who are massive nerds and having you know the lucasfilm storytellers there but also having a contingent of writers who are more casual fans or who don't know as much about the the universe as say you know the pablo hidalgo or anything like that um so it was it was really cool to kind of hear her lay out her thoughts and her process on the acolytes. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited for the series because I, I like that we're we're finally getting outside of this Skywalker saga timeline a little bit. So I think we're going to have some good stuff there. Uh, next piece of news. Last piece of news before we get into our top five for this week is the first look at Star Wars visions that we got earlier this week. Um, Star Wars Visions is the is the anime anthology project um, that that Lucasfilm and Disney Plus have put together in in association with um, seven different 
Japanese anime studios. So they're, these are actual Japanese anime studios. This is not like Amer like an American studio that's making a, a version of Japanese anime. This is actual Japanese anime studios making Star Wars stories. Um, and we got our first look at this at the series after um, a, a, after it was shown at Anime Expo Light. Uh, the the attendees of Anime Expo like got a little bit more um, than we did through the YouTube video that was shared by Star Wars, but we still did get a good idea of what the approach is with Visions, how these studios are approaching their storytelling, and just more information on what Visions is as a project. So. Um, some points of clarification for those of you who don't know what Visions is. Visions is essentially uh, nine episodes that are completely disconnected from each other. There, there's this is not like a an interconnected story being told like you would have in Clone Wars or Rebels or Bad Batch or any other like series style of show. Each episode is a self-contained story, um, and. These are being developed by seven different Japanese animation studios. Each studio will have their own story to tell. Each studio is going to have their own visual representation and visual style that they're going to tell the story in. And that will make this a very unique type of show. Um, so you're going to be watching, essentially, you're going to be watching brand new stories told every week that aren't connected to the previous ones. Um, so I thought that that was really awesome. There was a three minute video that's that's available now on the Star Wars YouTube channel, but you can also find it on our post entitled First Look Star Wars Visions on StarWarsTime.net. It's in, it's embedded in our in our post and you essentially have short little uh, segments with a lot of the creators of these stories from the Japanese animation studios. And, and you know, you essentially get to hear them talk about what it was like for them to find out that they were going to work on Star Wars and what it was like for them to build a Star Wars story of their very own, because these aren't stories that Lucasfilm has dictated to them. Like they like Lucasfilm and, and Disney did not like give them a script and say like, here, this is the story that you're making. Um, just do it in your style. They allowed these studios and these creators to come up with their own stories and tell them in a uniquely Star Wars way, which I thought was really cool. Um, it's something that you don't often see in, in, I mean, just high level IP development, like, you know, with it, with an intellectual property as important as star Wars, more often than not, you don't see people just saying like, oh yeah, just tell your own story. We, we're not going to have any sort of, any sort of say on it. Um, you usually have out story outlines. You usually have kind of, you know. Uh, approvals and and down the checklist and this gets passed to this person and then it, it's okay it seems like these creators were given kind of freelance and free reign to to tell a story of their own making in a star wars way so i thought that that was really really awesome um and then you also got to see a little bit of the animation style that's going to be used by the different studios some of the characters that are going to be used by the different studios, some explanation of the stories that are going to be told by different studios. And I thought that that was cool. So uh, we have episode names and we have 
the corresponding studios that will be working on them. So I'll go through those really quickly. First up, you have the studio Kamikaze Doga, D-O-U-G-A. Uh, their episode is called The Duel. Then you have Gino Studios. Their episode is Lop and Ocho, uh, or Ocho. And you have Studio Colorido, Colorido, C-O-L-O-R-I-D-O, Tatooine Rhapsody. Uh, Trigger Studios has two episodes. Um, one is The Twins, one is The Elder. Kinema Citrus has The Village Bride. Science Saru has two episodes as well. They're Akakiri and then T.O.B. One. And then Production IG has the Ninth Jedi. Um, so those are all the studios and their corresponding episodes. And like I said, if you watch the, the video that was released on Star Wars YouTube and you can find on, on our post, uh, it's really awesome to, to see and hear some of the stories from these creators. Um, and one that I found particularly interesting was one from... Uh, a director called the director of the elder episode at trigger studios. Uh, his name is Masahiko Atsuka. And if you look him up, Masahiko has been around the anime industry for over 20 years. And he's worked on shows like neon Genesis, Evangelion, FLCL, like some very big anime properties even for a Western audience. I mean, FLCL and Neon Genesis Evangelion are huge, even to a Western audience. Um, and one thing that I thought was really cool is that um, Masahiko Atsuka said that he was very happy um, that he directed an episode of Star Wars Visions as his final work which holds incredible meaning when you look at his career as a whole. And when you see, like I mentioned, the properties that he's worked on and how long he's been a creator and a storyteller in the anime space. Um, Star Wars was essentially built out of Japanese culture. And if you go back and you watch a lot of the uh, original trilogy documentaries and the making of and stuff like that, George talks a lot about, you know, obviously he uses uh, Joseph Campbell's The Monomyth and the, the, the hero's journey as a crux of storytelling for Luke Skywalker. Um, but the story of Star Wars as a whole and especially the aesthetic and, and this, this master-teacher relationship and, and everything like that comes heavily from Japanese culture and from Eastern mythology. A lot of it springs from. So a lot of these creators have been fans of Star Wars their entire life, but they've never been able, they've never even had the opportunity to, to work on the IP because it had never been presented to their, you know, to them, to, to the Eastern audience and to like Japanese animation studios in particular before now. So it was really awesome. Even the video is very short. You get a lot of information 
on the series, on the creators in it. So I think it's very important for people to watch that, to really sink their teeth into what Visions is going to be, and to really appreciate um, how Star Wars has essentially come back to its roots with Visions. You know, like going back and having these uh, animation studios in Japan tell their Star Wars stories and their styles is going to be a really unique and fun experience for not only for them making it, but for us as consumers watching it. I think it's going to be really awesome. So um, go check out the video, StarWarsTime.net. First look, Star Wars Visions is the name of the article. And if you scroll down to the bottom, the video is linked right there. So you can watch it right there. Um, I'm super excited about Visions. I think it's going to be an awesome new way for us to see um, Star Wars told in a completely different visual style. So I'm excited. All right. That was the last piece of news before we move into our fan segment. I decided that I'm going to read some of the answers because people did respond, so I don't want to be a complete dick and just be like, all right, I'm not going to fucking read anything. So I'll read a few things. Uh, so the question of the week, what was your favorite moment from the latest episode of The Bad Batch? That is S1, E10, Common Ground. Uh, so I'll read one from Liam of War Photos first because he's got a longer one. He says, for me, two main moments. In the cantina where Hunter could have just gotten straight out mad at Omega, but instead... He demonstrated great progress in his parenting skills. And two, when it's Echo in particular that urges Singh to live and fight another day, it's a wonderful echo of Echo's own personal experience and the things he's had to endure, pun very much intended. An honorable mention would go to Sid and how she cycled through all the nicknames she'd, been, she'd given the Bad Batch, i.e. bandana, goggles, Dark and broody ETC, so when she was going through and kind of like referencing each of the members of the Bad Batch. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, this one, the, the title Common Ground did not necessarily fall in the way that Matt and I expected, but it was more common ground between previous adversaries, you could say, to a certain degree, where, you know, like the, the Bad Batch, who were previous Republic soldiers, now have common ground with Senator Avi Singh, who was one of the primary leaders of the CIS. There's common ground there now. And then obviously the common ground found between Sid and Omega as Omega stayed back on this mission. Um, another one here from Figure Battles said that the Bad Batch still has a F-separatist mentality despite everything that's happened. I mean, that was, like I mentioned when we were going through the episode breakdown, like Echo was very much like, hey, fuck this guy. He's a CIS dude. Just let him suck. Like, why are we going to help him? And then obviously he came around towards the end, like Lima mentioned, uh, when Echo tells uh, Singh to live and fight another day. Um, Lights camera action figure says when Avi Singh smashed his priceless vase. Yeah, so when they were running through this, like when, you know, the, the batch is going through this, the, uh, I guess it would be like the, the senatorial chambers, the castle on Raxus to, to go save Senator Singh. Uh, he, they're running through and they're kind of, you know, going about it in their kind of brash way at some point And they almost break this vase and, uh, Singh's protocol droid saves it. And, you know, the, the, the batch bust into, 
the chambers where he's being detained. They stun all of the guards and uh, they make their way out. And she, you know, the protocol droid gives him this vase. And she's like, the droid says something like, oh, I saved your favorite vase. And by the time they make their way out and they're about to get on the shuttle, <laughs> the vase, he drops the vase and it smashes. And uh, he looks at it. He's like, I never liked that vase anyway. So funny stuff there. Galactic Figure says, Senator Avi Singh speaking out against the Empire. Yeah, so in the beginning of the episode, um, it starts off with essentially the, the Empire pressuring Senator Singh to, to quell his populace and to tell them that, hey, you know, everything's okay. Adhere to these protocols. Adhere to this, this new curfew that's in place. Adhere, adhere, adhere. You know, follow the Imperial letter of the law. And essentially, he's doing this under pain of death, torture, capture, enslavement, whatever. And, um, you know, Singh goes up there to start giving his speech, to give his, you know, rah-rah empire speech. And then he just can't do it. And he, he's, you know, he essentially goes against and, and tells his people to rebel and to not fall under the sway of this imperial nuisance and this imperial occupation. And that's when he's arrested. So that was really cool. Really cool. A a separatist and fighter to the end is obvious thing. So uh, thank you to all of those who responded to the question. Um, I'll, I'll give you one more. And this one, I, I say this because I want to bring up a, a comment about how tech can just fix anything in a weird way. So the rookie Wookiee says when tech piloted the ATTE, which is the, uh, the, the transport vehicle that you see in, in the OT or not in the OT in the prequel trilogy, like the big kind of tank Walker. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. Yes, he pilots it, but it's funny because at one point, uh, they're in the ATTE, they're getting away. It's Avi Singh and the bad batch and they're escaping, but they get literally, shot in the back leg by another one of the ATTEs that are following them that's still under Imperial control. So they get out and I'm like, okay, well, they can't use this anymore. It's, it's busted. There's a giant ass hole in it and it's smoldering and smoking from it. Uh, but what does tech do? He busts out that handy dandy little Bluetooth pad that he had in one of the previous episodes and he just punches in some things on it and it just fixes itself. Wouldn't it be like, I, I'm just so fucking blown away by that because when Han Solo had a problem with the Falcon, this dude had to jump into its innards, rip shit out, have Chewie in there yelling and smacking it with wrenches and pulling electricity away from it, all this shit. But Tech can, for some reason, fix any vehicle, whether it be his or not his, or decrepit and unused for years, he can just simply... Do everything with that little pad, and then bingo bango works like no problem. I just that, that I just think that's so weird how all of the problems of the batch can be fixed by this little bitty Palm Pilot, essentially little tablet. All right, so thank you again to everybody who responded to our question of the week. You can always find that on Tuesday mornings. Matt throws that up on the IG. So just make sure you find that post. Send us a response. We appreciate all of the interactions that you give to us on the IG. We appreciate the following that we have on IG. And speaking of IG, we're going to move into the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. 
Um, and this week I've gotten a lot of good feedback. So last week I started to share the top five on IG in a different format instead of just putting up the the stock image that Matt created of the Star Wars time top five. I am now like taking the individual images and like, yes, I have to kind of crop them out using my phone to get the image themselves because you can't actually save images from IG. I have to go through and cheat and do it. But I, I like cut out the images and I put them in, in order of how the artists are listed in the post. So instead of just seeing a random top five image, you see the actual top five. And like I mentioned last week, it's not like the, the images that you will see on the top five share on our top five IG posts are not the full image. Unfortunately, because images are taken in different aspect ratios, I can't crop them all to the same way. You know, I can do the best I can to make them fit in the frame, but unfortunately I cannot make them all fit completely into the frame. So uh, if you want to see the full image, make sure you either go to the artist's page on uh, IG and search for that particular one, or you can go to starwarstime.net, look for our most recent top five post, and then all of them are listed in there. Um, anyway, kicking off the top five this week, we have at Intergalactic Raptor. And this is a really, I, I, I love images that can portray like the the uh, the hollow recording, like the hollow videos that sometimes pop up in the movies and stuff like that. And that's what we have here. So we have uh, a, you know, a beautiful shot of Darth Vader kind of bowing down to the emperor, but the emperor is in his little hologram form as there is clearly a hollow call going on. But you see Vader kind of like has his, uh, his arm in front of his chest kind of leaning forward, almost in like a bow position. Um, it's just really, you know, I don't have Matt here to to give you more technical breakdowns of each image, but it's really well framed, I'll say. Like, I love, it's it's a really crisp shot. It's really well framed. And it, the like, proportionally, like, this looks like it's it's, it's set up in a way to where these figures look full size. Like it does not, you, you cannot tell that you're looking at a toy. Um, the lighting is perfect as well. You get the, you know, obviously you have a hologram going on here. So there's like blue light. There's light that's, that's shining through the hologram and that light reflects perfectly off of Vader's helmet and his, his armor and everything. So just a beautiful job with the setup, the execution, the lighting by at intergalactic underscore Raptor on the Instagram I am sorry that I cannot give more detailed explanations of what's going on in the photos here. That's a match specialty, but I'll do the best that I can. Um, all right. At Intergalactic, Rap Intergalactic Raptor on Instagram. Go give him a follow. Next up, we have at press underscore pause underscore photography. I can't remember if press pause made it last week. I feel like he might have, but when you put out the quality of work that press pause does, sometimes you get in there twice in a row. And if that's the case, then hey, he, he fucking deserves it, especially with this awesome shot we get of uh, a scout trooper on the scout bike. So on the on the uh, the land speeder bike and he's skimming over what looks like a, a lake of some sort. And he's got his foot down and his foot is like kicking up water behind him and it just sells that sense of motion that the bike is moving, the land speeder is moving, uh, the speeder bike is moving and, and 
it's really an incredible showcase of of press pause's ability to to sell action and motion and images the the blur effect is absolutely on point the the shot itself is crisp um you can see that he kind of used like basically what he did was from what i can see let's see um yeah i mean so he was at yellowstone national park and I mean, man, this is some really incredible stuff. So he's at Yellowstone National Park and he's got a picture of, of the lake itself um, that's there, Yellowstone Lake. So apparently he took this image while he was at Yellowstone National Park and, you know, through some clever post-processing and, and adding in like blur effects and stuff like that, it looks like this this scout trooper on speeder bike is, is literally like almost skiing through the waters at at Yellowstone National Park. I mean, it is fucking incredible. Um, at press underscore pause underscore photography underscore uh, at the end of it. Uh, go to his page. An in incredible photographer all around. And if you can try to find that image, he kind of shows you the lake itself and, and and some of the things that he he did with the shot. So uh, really awesome work. Press pause photography. Give him a follow. He's also a, a huge uh, fan of the Star Wars Time Show. He's always in our chat, and we love to see that. Awesome. Next up is a shot from at Action Figure Snaps with a Z. Uh, our good friend Adrian Belgar. He's the guy who gave us the Star Wars shirts that you often see me and Matt wearing on the show if you're a fan of our live stream or you watch it on YouTube. Uh, a lot of the shirts that you see us wearing on the show are provided by Action Figure Snaps. And what we have uh, from Action Figure Snaps is a it's a it's a trio shot of three phase one clones. And they're out in the what looks like the middle of this, like a like a snow, like a, a light snow happening here. But the reason that I picked it and this is so dumb, Adrian added in these little like these little flares, little light flares to it. And the 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 clone one or the phase one clone that's in primary focus in this is like looking right at the camera. And it's almost like if you've ever seen a commercial where like somebody smiles and there's like a ding of light off of their teeth. It looks like that. There's like three little points of ding light on his helmet. And he's like looking right into the camera. And the, the first thing I thought of was like, this is like a it's like a commercial for like armor cleaner. You know, like you go in, you scrub your armor up and you get the ding, ding, ding from the clean, shiny armor that is uh, <laughs> that that comes to be after you use the armor cleaner. It also kind of reminded me, I was like, these are like fucking Twilight vampires. They sparkle in the sun. And that's what it looks like. These clone troopers are doing. It looks like this one clone trooper is just sparkling in the sun like a shitty Twilight vampire. <laughs> Uh, so no, I mean, other than that, like the shot itself is actually very well framed. You have a foreground character that's uh, a little bit out of focus. You have a background character that's a little bit out of focus, but the primary focus is perfectly, it's like uses the rule of thirds very well that your primary character is, is in perfect focus looking at the camera. And like I said, I like the soft proofing that he did to the image as well. I feel like there's a bit of soft proofing in there. And I, I just like it was it was those little light reflections that did it for me. I was like, I don't know why you did that, Adrian. I don't know what you were going for. 
but you know what? You, you caught my eye, and that's all that matters sometimes to get in the top five is to catch my eye. Um, so yeah, so this is from at Action Figure Snaps. Go give them a follow on Instagram. Action Figure Snaps with a Z, S-N-A-P-Z. Give them a follow. Thank you, Adrian. Next up is is a, an actual just like a killer shot from Super Duper Trooper. S-U-P-A underscore D-U-P-A underscore T-R-O-O-P-A. And we get a shot of an IPD in the middle of a snowstorm on what is probably Hoth. And it's such a clean shot that you would look at this and be like, oh, well, you know, like maybe this is from like a, maybe this is like a super high res, like screen cap. Maybe this is like from like a, like one of the animated series or something like that. But it's just like, it's so high res and in like the IPD itself just looks so naturally a part of the scene that it almost doesn't look like a a picture like a like a toy photograph like a toy photograph at all like it it's just it's just so clean that it looks so seamless that you have this this snowy mountainous landscape and you have the snow whipping through the image and then the IPD just fits in there so well that it's just hard to tell that this is a toy picture at all. Um, and I don't know, like Super Duper Troopa has like a couple of additional screens in his, in his share of the image on his page, but doesn't really give like a behind the scenes look to see how he, to like show how he achieved the, the, um, the effect that he got there. So I don't know if it's just like very, very cool post-processing. And I think it is, I think it's a lot of really spot on post-processing. And I mean, I think the IPD itself actually might be a Lego IPD, which is even more impressive to like have a Lego figure just look like that in a finished product. Cause he's got a series of these shots. Uh, one of them's the Hoth Wampa. That is the Lego one. You have Han on Tauntaun, which is again Lego. You have the ATAT that's Lego also. And then you have this IPD. So I'm assuming it's Lego since it's a part of the same sort of series. But it's just so well done that you can't even tell it's a Lego shot. So just just props to at Supa underscore Dupa underscore Trupa on Instagram. Uh, I mean, just a fantastic piece of toy photography here. Fantastic post-processing and editing effects done too. Just top-notch work. Uh, so that's four of the top five already. And like I said, I'm trying to get you guys in and out of here in around the, the hour and 15 to hour and 20 minute mark. So we're doing good. The last member of the top five is our buddy Passage to Alderaan. So... What Passage to Alderaan did here, I mean, this is just like absolutely just gorgeous. It is a shot of Din and Grogu. So this is like full Beskar Din and, and little Grogu. And it looks like they're probably on Corvus, but it's hard to tell. Like they're in a forest area. They're clearly camping out for the night. You can see that, that Din has the little camp light set up. 
and on that's emitting the the primary light in the shot and and one thing about this shot is the lighting is just so good it's fantastic um so you have uh one primary source of light being that like red orange hue from the campfire or like the uh, camp light and then you have the blue white glow of the full moon in effect too so you get like these two color palettes the bottom left of the image this kind of orange red uh warm hue the the top portion of the image is this really cool blue white uh coloration from the lighting from this from the moon and the image itself is is uh din mando sitting down leaning against a tree and uh grogu is kind of standing on a fallen tree branch like he's kind of just standing up there almost eye level with din and what it looks like is happening is that Din was holding the little knob, the little, uh, the, the top to the shifter from the razor crest. He's holding it in his hand and then Grogu is using the force to pull it to himself. And just the expression on like, you can't really see Mando's full face in frame because he's looking at Grogu. And really the, the, I would say that the primary focus is on Grogu here. Like the, the expression on his face is just magical. It's just, a bit that 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 big Grogu Grogu smile. Um, you can see his hand kind of up, drawing in the 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 shifter knob, and I just think like, and then just everything else around it. The set dressing, for lack of a better term, that 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 passes to Alderaan did the staging is just magnificent. Like the depth of field with the trees that he has set up, the even like towards the background, the foliage and the bushes in the foreground. The camping site and material uh, right next to your characters as well. I mean, this is such a perfect setup. And it's so layered and detailed too. I mean, you're not talking about like a simple portrait here. This is this is multiple layers of of you know trees being used, foliage being used, and everything that really sells this shot as an amazing just outdoor forested image i mean it's it's absolutely fantastic um i don't know what else i can say about it you just have to go look at it uh at passage the number two alderon on instagram i mean this is it's really just it's it's one of my favorite shots of his and and passage alderon has made the top five previously he's very good at adding in effects adding in atmospheric effects to shots but this one here is just like it's it's like another level. It's it, like if you go through and you look at some of his other shots, it feels like this one in particular is just in in evolution, like a jump up in his in his photography. It's the, like this next level he hit it with this shot. And I really it just it's so fucking good, man. It's just so good. So at passage to Alderaan on IG. Go give him a follow. And that's the end of the top five, my friends. And that's the end of this week's show. Like I said, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, but you know, one thing we do have left to talk about is where you can find us online. At Star Wars Time Show on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. But our primary source of everything that you want to know and everything that you want to see, you can find it on at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram, 
StarWarsTime.net is where we put up all of our content. That is comic book reviews. That is uh, the uh, Bad Batch episode reviews, movie reviews when we have movies to talk about. Uh, and then all of the news and happenings that you need to know about in the Star Wars universe. StarWarsTime.net, hit it up, go to it, just bookmark it. Because hey, every now and then, you just want to see what's going on in the Star Wars world, head over to StarWarsTime.net. Make sure to follow us on the podcast platform of your choosing, whether it be Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, TuneIn. There's a ton of them. We have a absolute host of podcast platforms you can follow us on but whichever one you follow us on leave a rating or review or a rating and a review leave a like if you can do that because the more ratings reviews and likes that we have on these podcast platforms the more reach that we get to people who may like us more people like you guys who like star wars and need a star wars podcast to fill their time so do that rate review because that is really helpful. And also, thank you again to Manscaped.com. Use the code SWTS at checkout on Manscaped.com for 20% off of anything that you would want from there and free shipping worldwide. Uh, thank you all for listening. And as Matt always says during the close, if you listen to the Star Wars Time show, the Force will be with you always. Always.